Well, we are so happy to be with you tonight. Um, we were thinking about doing this for you and realized that uh, when we joined your church, uh, you guys just totally came on board with the orphans and the Kenyans, but you heard probably a lot of the negative that went on there because we were caught up in the lawsuit. So we thought tonight would be a time where we could just sit with you um, like we're sitting in a coffee shop and just share with you some of the insights that we have. Uh, Pastor Adam went with us the last time that we went to Kenya and he just totally jumped right in. He became one of them. And I think you all would if you had had the opportunity to go with us. So tonight, Sid's going to share a little bit about some of the highlights. And Robin's going to share, and I'm going to share. And kind of as we walk through this, we were thinking, what do we want to say to you guys? And it's kind of a mixture of what went on at the orphanage in this ministry, how great God was during that time, but also how we are changed because of our experience. Kathy and Robin will be focusing on the orphans and uh, what uh, occurred uh, with the orphans over this period of time. Um, I'm going to talk about the other aspects and involvement uh, on our trips. Uh, Africa is a very unique continent. And in the first slide, we'll see this is called an acacia tree. And there are professional groomers that uh, groom this tree frequently. They're called giraffes. <laughs> but this is a typical view of the plains uh, uh, in, in Africa where the safaris are, the Masamara, and we had the privilege of uh, making trips there a few times. In the next slide, uh, the beautiful animals. Uh, it's uh, just uh, awesome to see them in their natural habitat. Uh, and this, uh, the, the elephant was really one of my favorite. And the next slide, we have uh, more of the unique vegetation. Uh, this bush grows what the natives call spikes. And they are very long and hard burrs are, well, spike is a good term for it. They will definitely pierce your skin and they will break those off and use them as toothpicks. But the most amazing thing, this is a favorite diet of the giraffes. They have very long tongues and they'll wrap their tongue around these and will chew these spikes in bushes. So they've got some uh, tough mouth to be able to eat that. Uh, the next slide. Uh, Amazon doesn't have anything on Kenya as far as delivery. This is a boda boda, which they, what, what they call motorcycles, but these are like 50 cc, not like my 1800 cc that I have. 
Uh, but uh, they, this is a delivery primarily of groceries or merchandise, but they just stack and stack and stack. Uh, so you can see they maximize the payload on this small little motorcycle. And the next slide. Although there are 56 orphans, everyone is unique. And uh, they're all very special. This was the, uh, one of the youngest. His name was Manu. And Manu was full of life and full of love. And... Uh, he just had this energy, and I just had to had to take this picture with him because he was such a such a neat little fellow. And the next slide: uh, the roads in the countryside uh, they they uh, they were really often very challenging, and we would uh, go in the vehicles, and it was not uncommon for us to have to get out of the vehicles to uh, negotiate through. Uh, these rocky paths and uh, often we would drive through mud and we'd get stuck and so everybody had to pile out get behind the car and push it just another good reason you need to take a good shower every night but that was uh, really part of the venture and the next slide uh, you know we learned so much from the Africans uh, a church is a body of believers not a structure. This was my favorite church. This was, a, this was a mango church because they met under a mango tree. And just look at the beautiful countryside. Back behind it was a valley, and then on the other side of the valley was a mountain. And the next slide, we show uh, uh, those, those church members worshiping and standing under uh, the mango tree. So in the next slide, we see that uh, some of the, again, focusing on the church being a body of believers, this particular one had poles that were harvested from the um, area around it, and they had a tarp to keep the sun off of them. But you can see they're all crowded close together to stay out of the sun because the sun can be pretty hot. Uh, the next slide. <clears throat> we were able to build relationships with several pastors and their family. Uh, this is Pastor Richard, and this was a greeting that we uh, received when we arrived. Each year we would go back and visit uh, the same churches, and we built a relationship with these pastors. This was a typical structure. Uh, this is a mud building. You can see the horizontal poles, and this had the, the premium roof. We would call it a tin roof. They call it iron roof. Uh, so that was a premier construction. Uh, the less expensive was straw. And, uh, but, but they were able to build roofs from straw where, where they didn't leak. So uh, in the next slide, we'll see that uh, this is inside that structure. Uh, the members would crowd in. It was uh, nearly always wall to wall people within the church. And the next slide, 
This is Pastor Richard. They had a very simple, um, simple service. Uh, you can see just the joy he has in his, in his face. Uh, simple music, simple message, but it had a great impact because it was from the heart. And the next slide, uh, we, you may have seen this. We, we, um, uh, they had a drum. So this is the only, uh, they would play the guitar and they played this drum that was constructed of cowhide. And one side had already caved in. And so uh, Kathy bought this from them at a price that they could easily have, could buy two new ones. But this, this was brought home and this is at, at Robin's place. Uh, but it was a little challenge bringing that home on the air, airplane. <laughs> but we made it. Uh, the next slide. This was uh, uh, the structure that Pastor Pius met in. This was uh, probably about, about eight miles from where Pastor Richard's church was. Nearly all the members uh, of the church came from the immediate vicinity of where the ch church structure is. And you can see it's a very similar construction. And the next slide, uh, again, it's packed out. And I, I, I don't know where those, all those yellow scarves came from, but they all had on, uh, most of them had on yellow scarves in, in that church. Oh, we brought them? Okay, that's where they came from. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was not uncommon for the building to be full and for people standing, to be standing outside. Okay, well, I'm joining, enjoying the better view then, huh? <laughs> okay, the next slide. Uh, this is Pastor Fred. Uh, he was in a very remote area. He had a very large family. I think there were 16 of them. But uh, he was a, a great servant. This is one of his sons. And the next slide shows the congregation, his church members, uh, standing outside the structure. And in the next slide shows uh, Kathy and I standing beside uh, Pastor Fred. I have to tell you a story. There was uh, <clears throat> some of these villages we went into, some of the young, younger people had never seen a white person before. And there was a newborn infant that was there. And her mom was holding her, and when she saw us, she just screamed. And uh, she's, her mom said, she thinks you're ghost. <laughs> and I said, let me hold her. And they said, oh, no, 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 you can't hold her. <laughs> but uh, many of the pastors are uh, co-vocational, and Pastor Fred had a small coffee plantation. So those trees in the background are uh, coffee trees, and uh, that's how he supplemented his income. 
Now the next slide. Oh, are we out? Okay. Well, one of the things that we did uh, at each of the church churches we visited, we would provide uh, food for the members. We would generally uh, go to a store and buy it in very large sacks and then divide it up. And typically, uh, we would leave with them uh, corn, which they call maize, uh, rice, um, sugar, uh, tea, and we, we, the, the lard came in this large container, and I was the only one that would put my hands in there and put it in Ziploc bags. These we girls. The only one who would not do that. <laughs> so we always drew a, to see who got the short straw <laughs> to repack the lard. But um, those, those uh, uh, members were so appreciative of the food that we left with them. And I believe that's the last slide, isn't it? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> you know, when we went to Kenya, it was our intent to go over and change them. But we got changed. We have so much to learn from the Kenyans. We as Americans are drowning in materialism. More is never enough. We're never content. Uh, and we met with these people who had nothing, but they had everything. Uh, they were just, they wanted us to really uh, answer, do you really water your grass? Because in their yards, they grew food. In their front yard, they had maize or banana trees or whatever uh, would grow in that area. Um, and... Uh, <clears throat> And Kathy has had a real passion for uh, orphans, um, having really become involved several years prior. And in the beginning, when I accompanied her, I just went to support her. And uh, as, I, as I spent time with orphans uh, and learning from them, uh, I think the biggest change that came about in me is I felt the need to become a servant leader. Our best example was Christ. He was King of Kings and Lord, Lord of Lords, but he came here as a servant leader. And uh, that's, I think, how I got most impacted uh, with the time that we spent working with orphans and making the trips. Thank you very much. Well, if you know me very well, you know that I don't sit around and talk about my feelings, right? If you say, how are you doing? My answer is probably, I'm fine, I'm hanging in there, I'm doing all right, right? That's the end of, the, that's the end of it, all right? So I've also learned something very important uh, in that I need to trust God's nudging, whether it's in sermon prep or if I'm gonna be speaking somewhere else, trusting where God is leading me. So tonight he's kind of wanting me to share with you how I'm doing, how I'm feeling. And maybe it's to be therapeutic for myself, and maybe it's so I can tell you all at once, right? 
Just get it all out once. I'm going to do this one time. If you're not here tonight, I am so sorry. Don't ask me how I'm doing, all right? Because this was your moment. Um, and, you know, Adam often talks about finding ourselves in God's story. And I have so found myself a part of God's story throughout this time of ministry in Kenya. Unfortunately, you know, maybe it doesn't look now what I thought it would. And, you know, I even joked this week with Amy Kahn. I said that, uh, you know, I think if, if you had to title my life story right now, I'm afraid it might be called postponed. Because <laughs> the past two and a half, three years, it's kind of how it has felt. Everything has been postponed as we waited for decisions from the courts and we heard that word postponed or delayed more times than I care to remember and each time that happened this new wave this roller coaster ride right these new feelings of oh and then okay we have a new day and then oh postponed and then and then it finally came in you guys were with us right it finally came in and it was what we have come to lovingly call the unverdict a ruling uh, from the court that wasn't really saying you lost and they won, but it wasn't really a victory for us either. And no, it wasn't really worded that way, winner, loser. You know, in that instant, in that moment, when we got that call, postpone, really did begin to feel like loss. It felt like we lost the case. We lost the children. I mean, we lost the very ministry that we had began, the thing that we had poured ourselves into. Felt like we'd lost everything. <laughs> and it seemed like it was just an end. All this wait, all this time, all these postpones, and now <laughs> it was just ending. It was over, something that had been so important for so long. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's how you got to be. If you're going to share your feelings, you might as well be honest about them, right? You know, there have been times since we got that decision and as we've prayed and as we've thought, you know, about pulling out and not being a part of Kenya anymore, I just wondered, God, where are you in this? How could you let this happen? How could you let corruption win? How could you take these kids from us, Right? How can, this, how can this decision really be in the best interest of the kids? And I felt for a long time that I was kind of in this fog because I couldn't see, I couldn't see through this. I couldn't see how he was possibly at work here. But he's always been. He was faithful in this. And he spoke to me in this crazy way, I guess because I don't listen if he's really like, you know, people say, I heard the voice of God. Well, he speaks to me in these crazy ways, and he talked to me in a sign on the way to work. I was at an elementary school, and this sign says, what seems like the end is often just the beginning. <laughs> so immediately everything was great, right? Okay, so thank you for coming tonight. I am done. <laughs> no, okay, so maybe not, but not exactly how it went. But uh, that evening when I got home from work, I pulled out some of my favorite books that I haven't really gone back to for a while, uh, but I have two that look just like this. These are my journals from my time in Kenya. So as I'm thumbing through these things and looking at the pictures and reading my words, I found myself laughing, laughing at the incredible stories, the crazy things these kids do. I found myself crying, you know, as I thought that I won't go back there to have these crazy times with these crazy kids. And I found myself just remembering all the times that I saw God at work there 
and all the times that I got to be a part of that. And I got to the end of the book, and I found that what I had written at the end of this journal, so the end of this book, I wrote about the beginning of my next book, which was I was traveling back to Kenya, and I was going to be staying there for eight months. So in February 2014, I quoted 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we live by faith and not by sight. I said, so today I'm closing my eyes to what I've seen, and I'm publicly stating my trust in faith alone, in him alone. I took my first step back in December when I quit my job. That was a huge decision. I had my faith in my ability to do my job, faith in my paycheck at the end of the month, faith that I could do what I could do, and you can fill in the blank with just about anything. But I cannot deny that he is calling me to have faith and what he can do. I can do all things, but only through him who gives me strength. And as I reread those words, now three years, some three years later, I kind of feel that I've come full circle back to where we live by faith and not by sight. And I have days when it is really difficult to see how this verdict is part of something greater. I can't see it. And sometimes it's hard to feel that uh, God is really in control. It's really hard to feel that some days. But in the midst of that, and really just this week as I've really laid it out here to God, as the psalmist says, crying out to God. So in spite of all of these feelings that he is not in control and feeling that the fog is stronger and it is just overcoming everything, find that I can still have the faith to believe what my eyes can't see. Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom once said that we should not be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And I still don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to Pauline. One of you guys out there has Pauline's picture. And her brother Brian. I don't know what's going to happen to Brian or to Jeremiah or Manu. I may not ever get to know what happens to any of those 56 orphans that I've come to love. And the only reason I can stand on faith is because I can believe what God says. I can believe in Jeremiah 11. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And he doesn't say as long as Robin is there. Man, I'd like for that to be the case. But it says period. There's a period after future. Plans to give you hope and a future. That and a lot of scriptures that, are, that portray that same message, that's why I have faith that those babies are going to be all right. Even in my absence, and even though I don't get to play a part in that, as much as I'm going to miss them, slowly, and I'm going to tell you it is very slowly, I'm coming to terms with the fact, okay, it was never about me anyway. Can you believe that? This whole thing, this whole God journey, not about me. Anyway, <laughs> I'm grateful. I am so grateful that he let me be a part of that. He let me be a part of those kids' lives for a season, and it's not ending. It's not ending for them. It's not ending for me. It's just start of a new chapter for all of us. And each day comes a little clearer that God's not <laughs> forsaken those kids. 
and Adam said that after the scripture. He's not forsaken them. He's not the left, the left those kids. He's not forgotten them. He knows every single name. And it's my part in their lives that may be ending. His part, it began before we ever set foot in Kenya, and his part's going to continue long after we are gone from there. A few weeks ago, I came across this email. This is an email I sent out on August 12, 2014, and this one actually went to Kat Martini. <laughs> I think I sent it out to several people, but the one I found, uh, I'd sent to, to Kat that day, and I'd woken up, and I had this great little apartment with this great little balcony. I'd overlooked a, a garden, and you could see the road, and you could see the little house, and I could watch the dad bathing his little kid in the, in the yard every morning, and I could see the women washing their clothes. But this morning, I woke up, and I took my coffee out on the patio, and I couldn't see a thing. This deep fog had settled over everything, and I couldn't see past the railing. It would be like not being able to see any of you guys out there. No matter how hard I would squint or try to see that little house over there, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. And it was kind of weird. It's kind of a weird feeling knowing everything is out there, but you just can't see it. And after a bit, though, after a bit, I finished my coffee, and I went in to do as I always did, to write either emails or write in my journal. And this is what my email said that morning. It said, I woke up to a fog-covered landscape this morning, quite appropriate as I feel pretty fog-covered myself. I know although it may be hard to see it right now, fog eventually disappears as quietly as it arrived. I also know that although the fog may make the sun, S-U-N, seem weaker, I know that it is still there waiting to break through. I wait in anticipation for the sun, S-O-N. So I have a copy of that since I've rediscovered it. I have a copy of that on my refrigerator now. And it's going to be a reminder that even on my foggiest days, even if I can't see the sun, that I will be reminded that he is still at work. He is still in Kenya. He is still standing there with those kids. And I can pierce through the fog if only I can remember. If only I can shut these eyes and trust my faith eyes instead. Kelly sang a while ago uh, the Kings and Queens story. Do you like that song? Isn't that the sweetest thing? We've been hearing that for years. We actually put it um, to some of our videos when we came back. Um, to show our church, and it became a very special song to me, not only because are the, the kids are so special to God that each one of them is made in his image, and they are like kings and queens in his vision. Uh, it, it kind of deepened my thought of who these kids were. I started looking at them as our sons and our daughters, they were just a little ways away from us. Uh, I will tell you a quick story about the kings and queens. We, every year that we went over, uh, people would give us money to host a once a year all-out birthday party. A lot of these kids didn't know uh, when their birthdays were. 
And so we didn't want to, to skip anybody. So we would go into town and we would go to the grocery store. And this particular day, I'd gone to the grocery store with Rebecca and we were buying cakes. And I think our, our total was about, we were going to try to feed about 70. And one of the real treats that the kids got when we were there, we would buy them sodas. So we went in, we bought these sodas, Coke, and they didn't have to have ice. They just drank it hot, and they just loved it. And so Rebecca and I went in, we filled a cart with all these two-liter bottles of drinks, and then we picked out these special cakes for the kids. And we were having to buy quite a few of them, and we meticulously laid them in the basket. And we went up to check out, and as, as the checker was scanning them and, and putting them over, I noticed they were handling these a little bit rough. And then they got to the sacker, who just like, he just was throwing them in a sack with the bottles of the Coke. And I, I just walked over and said, ho, ho, no, 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 no. And they all looked at me like, what? And I said, these have to be handled carefully because they are for kings and queens. And they just looked at me like I was crazy. But I helped them package them very well. Uh, there's a quote that we heard in Missio Alliance when we went up there a few weeks ago from Greg Boyd that says, your picture of God is the most important part of your life. And I jotted that down, and I have reflected so much on that quote since we've been home. Because we have talked in church about the narrative or the story that we tell ourselves about God. Um, we continue that all through our spiritual growth. Uh, some of us get stuck, and we think of God as being the judge with the long beard, and he's just going to judge you. But I think through this experience with the orphans that I have learned so much about who God really is. I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and from that view, I believe that God was with us in the beginning of Kenya. I believe that he was, he was there when we were struggling and had difficulty in Kenya. And I believe that God is with those orphans today. We get a glimpse of God by looking through Jesus and his view of who, of who God the Father is. Matthew 25, 34, 40 says this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or, or you needed clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, 
Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We find that, that God is a God of compassion and service. Um, I was living a very comfortable life before I started orphanage work. In fact, the kids had left home, and I was just very, very comfortable. I had to have something to do, so I signed up for a class with BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. And through that in-depth study, uh, my world was rocked. At the end of the first year, I began changing my prayer to God make me uncomfortable. And I remember one of the ladies in my small group at BSF said, you better be careful what you ask for. But all I knew is that I was yearning for something more, something that God was nudging me toward. And Sid and I went through poverty simulation in Waco um, two times, no more, but two times we did this. And I came across a rewriting of Matthew 25 that has really impacted me. It was written by uh, Dr. Jimmy Durrell, and it goes like this. I was hungry, and you were overweight. I was thirsty, and you continued to water your lawn. I was a stranger, and you called the police. I was naked, and you were shopping for the latest fashion. I was sick, and you asked, can I catch it from you? I was in prison, and you said, that's where people like you belong. And I began praying at that time that God would get me out of my comfort zone and use me for his kingdom. One quote that I wrote down from a sermon that has had a huge impact in my life. It was written by Dr. Scott Daniels. May God help us to be the kind of people who take the hands of another and risk contamination. And I began to see that God wanted me out with my sleeves rolled up and my hands dirty for the kingdom, not sitting in my house listening to a sermon on the radio. He wanted me out there doing things for him. And so I found that I had a very deep passion uh, for working in the orphanages. And after working in orphanages for about nine years, Sid and I started construction of the orphanage in Kenya, Bungoma, Kenya, uh, which later was called the Keesler Children's Center. And I can distinctly remember, it took a year and a half to build a building, and I remember the time we went over and we got the tour of the building. And it was just pretty much overwhelming, as you can imagine. But the people who were with us on the tour went back, and Sid and I ended up going back and walking through the building by ourselves. And in Africa, people appear. I mean, you just look at what looks like land and brush and everything, but if you walk up there, you might have 50 kids just come, come to you curious. And as we walked through each room of the orphanage, we found that we were picking up kids from the neighborhood. They just came from, I don't know where they came. They didn't speak, and we didn't speak, but we all walked through this orphanage together. 
and I can remember that I had a real connection with the Holy Spirit during this time, that this was the beginning for something great for him because we were going to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty. I knew that God, God was good right then. And I've always dreamed about spending the night at an orphanage, and I, I know that sounds really bizarre to some of you. It's not the typical bucket list of I, I want to climb Mount Everest. It's I want to live in a, an orphanage, or I want to sleep in an orphanage. But ever since I was a little girl, I had that in my mind. And one of those times that we went over, Robin had already been there. I stayed an extra week and took my little bag and went to the orphanage to live without electricity. Sid had come back home for business, and Robin and I, she shared her, her room with me. I can remember without electricity anywhere close that by 7, 7.30, it was as dark as I'd ever seen it before. And there was absolutely nothing you could do. We had little batteries, flashlights, but the batteries would run out. And so we'd go to sleep at 7, 7.30 at night. I'm an early riser. I would rise about 4.30 or 5 while it was still dark. And Robin had bought this little, what was that, like a butane little burner? Anyway, I was able to heat water over it and make a really hot cup of coffee. And I'd grab my coffee, I'd use my little flashlight, and I'd go out and I would sit on the porch of the orphanage in the darkness. And I would watch as the sun would start breaking and the clouds would start turning a deep red and then a pink. And then one by one, these little kids would get out of their bed and they would be waking up and walk out to the pump, and they would pump and wash their face. And I felt the Holy Spirit at that time. Holy Spirit was like, yes, this is good. And I knew then that God is good. A few years later, things didn't go right. Um, things went downhill. We suspected some things, and it became true to the point that we uh, hired a lawyer. We got involved in a legal suit. We said, Sid and I have always said, we will never be in a lawsuit. But standing up for the kids was something we hadn't seen as needing to enter a lawsuit. And so we entered that time. And I've learned so much about God during the last three years of this lawsuit, how it's not our ministry, it is God's ministry. It is not our will, but God's will. And I echo what Robin said about having to trust in God for the unknown, trying to figure out, I am so thankful for these two people and that, that we went through this together because we have learned so much about who God really is. I've learned that I can go through all the emotions of the psalmist and still have the deep faith that God is who he says he is. He is almighty and full of love. 
And I, I think just to kind of cap what I've learned is that a healthy mission is not one void of conflict. Just like we say, a healthy church is not one void of conflict. You go to any church, there's going to be conflict. But what is so important is walking through conflict with God as your anchor, with Jesus as your advisor, his wisdom, his discernment, his leading, his guidance. And so we have learned throughout this ordeal with the orphanage in Kenya how to embrace the beautiful that God gave us to serve during that season. And now we embrace God even deeper, trusting in him, relying on him, that he is going to see this through for those kids. You see, God was already at work in Kenya before we ever got there. He necessarily does not need us, but he called us there for a season. And so we loved what we did. We have cried. We have been so joyful. Um, we've been so angry. We've been every emotion in the book. But I stand here, I sit here today to tell you that God is who he says he is. And I personally feel so transformed by this experience. I, I will tell you this real quickly. I had to write last week an email to the former pastor that we had worked with, who is now in charge of the orphanage. And it was business, and so I listed out what I needed to tell him. And then at the end, I just wrote a quick paragraph. And I looked back over, and the Holy Spirit connected with me at that moment and said, you cannot send this email. And I looked it back over to see what was wrong with it. And I saw that my deep sarcasm was coming out and that I was trying to be subtle about it while I put the knife in his heart and twisted it. And I am so deeply appreciative to the Holy Spirit who had me go back and delete that whole paragraph and pray to him to give me the words that I was to say to this pastor. You see, the word says we are to love our enemies. And I found myself having to love my enemies. And I can say by the grace of God that all three of us are praying for Robert to be successful with running the orphanage. We are praying for, for this person that we have looked at as our enemy, for his heart to soften and for Jesus to be able to use him. We could not do that on our own. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Robin was staying at the orphanage, and we had an opportunity through her eyes to see what the kids were doing when she was there one time. She kept calling me and saying, 
It is the sweetest thing at night when all these kids get together, the house mothers get them all together. They have little candles. They light them, and they sing to God praises, and then they pray before they go to bed. And so one night, she snuck in with her iPhone, and she took a video and sent it back to us so that we could, could experience what these kids do every night. Sid said, they don't have anything, and yet they are some of the happiest people alive. They don't have all the materialism choking them, but yet they are the happiest children that we have found on the planet Earth. Tonight we're going to share with you that video, uh, and it's Sammy is, is the little guy who's kind of leading the song, and we hope, I don't know which place you can see it better, right there, right there. But um, if Maria would play that video, then we will have a prayer for our orphans.
We're going to have a prayer for our orphans because we remember them, and we will always remember them, and we know our Lord remembers them. Uh, If you have a little card with a picture and a name on it, there's going to be a time during this prayer when I ask uh, for you just to stand up and name that child before the Lord God Almighty. Would you join me with prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for each child that resides at Keesler. We thank you for his and her lives. We pray that you will provide food for them today, protection from the night, and life with you always. And as we remember them, and as we know you remember them, Lord, we just now pause to call out individually the names of these children. And now, Lord, we just trust you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.